DW Africa Link. It's Thursday, the 23rd of November, 2023, and we are almost eight months into Sudan's devastating war. Hello and welcome to DW's Africa Link show. I'm your host, Josie Mahachi. And I'm George Okachi. This show is coming to you live from our studios here in Bonn, Germany, and also live on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Coming up on the program... Intense battle for control of regions in war-torn Sudan pushes the country to the brink of a humanitarian catastrophe. Uh, thousands are still in need within Sudan and outside Sudan. Uh, if you cross the border from West Darfur to Chad, uh, I think the Chadian government has already raised an alarm. Also on the show, can the seven-month-long conflict break Sudan apart? We'll tell you from an analyst. The war is taking increasingly, you know, ethnic lines and ethnic fault lines. And so we can say confidently that the country is actually on the, on the brink of complete disintegration. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned for the details after the world news in brief. DW News. Hello, I'm Keith Walker. A truce between Israel and Hamas in Gaza will start on Friday morning local time. The first hostages will be released later in the afternoon. A spokesman for the Qatari foreign minister said the ceasefire will cover the north and the south of Gaza. He also said humanitarian aid would start flowing into Gaza as soon as the truce begins. The fighting is expected to stop at 7 in the morning and the first hostages are expected to be released from 4 p.m. Initially, 13 people will be freed, all of them women and children. Humanitarian aid groups say flooding in Somalia has left 1.7 million people in need of help. The severity of the weather has been felt across Somalia, including the capital, where flash floods hit the main streets. Sashwash Saraf is from the International Rescue Committee. He says the flooding will see agricultural loss on top of the existing food insecurity in the region. The livestock are also particularly at risk because of vector-borne diseases and new diseases that come up. The human population, children in particular, will be affected because of increase in cholera cases, malaria and other waterborne diseases that we have started to see unfold in all these countries and especially in Somalia. Security forces in Germany have conducted raids on several properties connected to Hamas and the international network Samidun, that's a pro-Palestinian group. The Interior Ministry says raids have taken place in several states. AfricaLink News comes to you from Germany's international broadcaster, DW. Germany and Italy have agreed to increase cooperation on a range of issues. The two countries have had strong disagreements, particularly over immigration policy. Boats from northern Africa arrive in Italy, but many on board want to travel further to seek asylum in Germany. Italian Prime Minister Giorgio Maloney was elected on a strongly anti-immigrant platform, while German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has sought to tighten Germany's policy, making the country less attractive to migrants. 
We all know we have to find a way to reduce irregular migration and ensure that there are legal migration routes. We need partnerships with the countries of origin and transit, and that is exactly what we are working on. Partnerships that, as the Prime Minister said, work on an equal footing. The party of far-right populist Hert Wilders has won a big victory in the Dutch elections. With nearly all the votes counted, the Freedom Party was on track for 37 seats in the 150-seat parliament. Wilders could become the country's first far-right prime minister if he can form a governing coalition. And that's the latest. I'm Keith Walker. Keith, uh, many thanks for that. And to our listener, thank you for staying tuned to DW's Africa Link program. My name is Jojo Kachi. And I'm your host, Josie Mahachi. A warm welcome to those of you joining us on our Facebook page, DW Africa. We also appreciate everyone who's tuned in through all our partner stations across the continent. We encourage your comments on the stories we are covering. Now, today's show uh, goes to Khartoum, where intense fighting between Sudan's military and the paramilitary rapid support forces RSF is pushing the country to the brink of a humanitarian catastrophe. Now, the RSF is reportedly gaining control of much of the capital Khartoum and the full region while the army controls the country's north and east. Experts warn that the war could escalate into all-out ethnic violence putting entire communities at risk. I've just spoken with DW's Michael Atit, who begins by detailing the humanitarian crisis. Five out of six states of Darfur in uh, last month has been taken over by the RSF, and uh, there are no access for you know humanitarian aid agencies to access those areas to those locations uh, at least to provide the people with the basic life-saving assistance uh, as we speak. Uh, Thousands are still in need within Sudan and outside Sudan. Uh, If you cross the border from West Darfur to Chad, uh, I think the Chadian government has already raised an alarm of, uh, you know, there is already a congested situation of the Sudanese refugees with the host communities on the little resource that they have, uh, which is raising also an alarm to the humanitarian uh, aid agencies to, to urgently intervene. Uh, in South Sudan, there are many Sudanese refugees who cross the border to the country, and the South Sudan situation also has been, you know, you know, has been also in need of humanitarian uh, needs for their own people. Well, uh, indeed, no solution coming soon at it. And there are also reports that the war could spiral into an all-out ethnic violence uh, that, I mean, puts the entire communities, especially in Darfur, at risk. Can you confirm these reports? Uh, the Darfur region is, is, a, is a bit a complex, a, a, a complex uh, situation. Uh, of course, there are many diverse ethnicity, diverse communities in Darfur, but then uh, it has started since the previous regime of the Austin President Omar al-Bashir. If you go to West Darfur, you talk of Arab uh, origin against the local Masalid, and in other areas as well. So this situation has been there, uh, and uh, it, it needs an urgent intervention 
uh, as other local civil administration has been doing, other heads of tribes, heads of subclans have already been doing. Well, let it before I let you go, there are concerns about uh, a potential division of the country. And can you elaborate on the likelihood of such scenario and perhaps its potential implications? Okay, this it depends on the Sudanese themselves. Uh, we have seen uh, recently, maybe last week, uh, a group of armed uh, group who originally from Darfur has been fighting the government in Sudan. They have already announced their allied to the Sudanese government, Sudanese uh, military, that they are going to sideline with them and fight against the RSF. And the RSF uh, are also regarding this group are part of the Sudanese military. So we are, we are witnessing these divisions, divisions after divisions after divisions. And uh, if Sudan continues to be a lawlessness state, uh, we are likely going to see divisions. We are going to more likely to see, for example, Darfur being a, a separate state. Eminent division there, as our DW correspondent in Khartoum, Michael Atit, says. Now, more than seven months into Sudan's devastating war, as we mentioned earlier, which has claimed thousands of lives and displaced millions, experts warn that the scared and impoverished impoverished country, Mm -hmm. sorry, faces the threat of breaking apart. Now, the paramilitary rapid support forces, RSF, are at war with the armed forces and there are reports that the paramilitaries are gaining a foothold in Darfur region. I've spoken to Dr. Hassan Hanenje, the director of Horn International Institute for Strategic Studies, and started by asking if Wotan Sudan is on the brink of breaking apart. So the war is taking increasingly, you know, ethnic lines and ethnic fault lines. And so uh, we can say confidently that the country is actually on the on the brink of complete disintegration. As it stands, the RSF currently exerts control over much of the Darfur region. And some observers are drawing parallels with the Libyan scenario, speculating that the country may face division among rival groups. Do you share this perspective? Of course, most certainly. You know, uh, right now, RSF control about perhaps, you know, 80% of Darfur today, uh, which is one of the largest you know, parts of Sudan. And right now, they don't have an incentive, of course, to make peace in part because they want to increase their hand at the negotiating table. And so in whatever eventual outcome that is going to be, of course, uh, the two uh, fighting forces are still going to have enormous influence uh, in the political discourse in Sudan, I think, for years to come. But fundamentally, if that process is not started uh, of transition, then it means uh, we can see Somalianization of Sudan, like uh, what happened, of course, in Somalia in much of the 1990s, with a country being ruled by a series or a number of warlords. And that is what we're seeing emerging in Sudan too. Well, the term Somalianization of Sudan sounds even more alarming, Dr. Hanenje. What would be the significant effect of such potential disintegration? Oh, what uh, the potential impact, number one, is it's going to exacerbate the already uh, dire humanitarian situation in Sudan. Uh, it's going to create uh, a refugee crisis within the region. But there's potential for spillover, in part because of the composition of uh, the populations of Sudan, uh, which, for instance, uh, have spread in places such as, such, such as Chad. But secondly, mm. there is credible evidence of the movement of militants from the Sahel region into Sudan. 
as Sudan increasingly becomes a very fertile ground and uh, with the presence of ungoverned spaces, uh, that uh, we're going to see an emergency of perhaps jihadist organizations taking root in Sudan and spreading all the way to the Sahel. Well, this situation should undoubtedly be a matter of grave concern for the international community. What prospects remain for international efforts to bring an end to this seven-month-long conflict? Part of the challenge with the reason why the conflict is continuing is because there haven't been sufficient efforts by the international community to actually bring the parties uh, to a negotiating table. Now, oh, there have been attempts, for instance, the Jeddah process, the IGAD process, and even the one in Cairo. But what needs to be done is that these processes need to be harmonized, need to be harmonized with uh, the key players that have influence over the fighting forces in Sudan uh, to be at the table. But fundamentally, it is important that the, that the talks move beyond just a ceasefire or creating humanitarian corridors. We they need to go back to uh, negotiations on how the status quo is not sustainable and that the country needs to move towards a transition to a civilian and democratic you know, administration. Because uh, as long as the discussions are going to focus purely on the fighting men and women, uh, then uh, the long-term solution to Sudan, of course, is not, not going to be achieved. And so I think we need to go back to where we all began, and that is uh, the stalled transition process in Sudan. Definitely, everybody is waiting for that to come to fruition. And uh, that is Dr. Hassan Hanenje. He is the director of the Horn International Institute for Strategic Studies. Now, straight to our Facebook page, we asked, do you believe African refugees are treated the same as those in other parts of the world? And Potifa Tembo is talking about what is happening in Sudan, says stop the war. And we have Alex Brooks. He says this is program, as we already know, all these institutes are run by elites. And of course, they are reacting to the fact that mm-hmm. the UN was saying they are stopping food aid in Sudan. And Martin Besong says proxy war, humanitarian aid is a necessity for all to meet up the MDGs. Of course, to another story that we were following is Mali's military government has signed an agreement with Russia that includes a gold refinery project Mm -hmm. in the Malian capital Bamako. Now we asked, what do you make of that collaboration between Russia and Mali? Modu Jalo says, good deal. Africans want our resources to be processed and sold in Africa. And Leo Docha, you're saying China and Russia bring development to Africa. U.S. only brings wars and exploitation. That is your claim. And Ataberi, Ataberi says it is a great idea. African leaders need to exchange resources. And D. Miles, you say, I wish we can emulate uh, emulate uh, Azambia. Okay. Those are your comments. Remember, you can also share what you think on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Remember, this is Africa Link. Thanks for staying with us. And in case you're just joining us, this is DW's Africa Link program coming to you live from our Bonn studios here in Germany. I'm your host, Josie Mahachi. And Josie Mahachi is seated in this studio with George Okachi. Join us on our Facebook page, DW Africa, where the show is live now. And we also appreciate our listeners via our partner stations. Now, still to come, Google Maps to erase some South Africa routes. And here is why. There's a specific portion of the route that passes through Nyanga that's deemed um, unsafe by the authorities. So we as Google take our lead from the city, from the municipality, from the authorities who said 
the U.S. Google, are you able to ensure that we don't uh, recommend that particular portion of the route? That will be coming up shortly, but for now we head to Nigeria. Since the transition to democracy in 1999, death sentences are often given but rarely carried out. After 2006, no executions took place until June 2013 when four prisoners on death row were hanged, although about a thousand other condemned prisoners were awaiting execution at the time. The next executions occurred in 2016 when three men were hanged for murder and and armed robbery. Now, Josie, as our correspondent in Abuja, Ben Shimang, reports, there are over 70,000 inmates in different prisons spread across the country. And, and could it be the highest in Africa? That's a million-dollar question. There. Yeah, now over 5,000 of them are convicts on the death row in the country where capital punishment means death by hanging. Some of the condemned inmates have been waiting execution for between 10 and 28 years. Take a listen. The mentioned statistics have been given by the Controller General of the Nigerian Correctional Service, Haliru Nababa. Many of these inmates have not had court appearances as their files are missing. Some of these Nigerians are thrown into jail by brutal use of force by powers that be. There is prison congestion, and state governors are refusing to sign the execution orders by the courts. So what's the way out? DW had asked religious clerics, a psychologist, and a human rights activist, who is also a lawyer. First, we hear from Bishop Alice Zaka Bonnet of Solid Rock Church, Abuja, on what she thinks about prisoners awaiting execution. If there is provision for these people to be pardoned, that is what I ultimately subscribe to. I don't have it in mind by any means and even by Blicka for anybody to die for whatever reason. So if there is any window of pardon, please let them be pardoned. Sheikh Mohammed Nura Khalil of the Islamic Research and Dawa Foundation Abuja also bears his mind about the death row, which has become a thorny issue in Nigeria. I am not in support of uh, removing entirely that warrant from our laws because someone who killed should receive the same punishment according to our religions. So I think we have to look uh, into how to reduce the number of awaiting death in our country. A sociology lecturer at the University of Abuja, Dr. Adeyan Jupiter, blames the government for the prison congestion and even those awaiting execution. Our prison congestion, Nigeria in reality doesn't keep to conventions. Not every inmate that find themselves in the prison or correctional facilities in reality are convicted. Even when the court have adjudicated that they should be killed, the issue of signing death warrants and the likes, again and again, there are basic conventional practices. The correctional facilities in Nigeria, apart from the categorization, they are already overutilized. So why do governors refuse to sign death warrants in Nigeria since it is their duty to do so? A psychologist, Isaac Raphael Ogbaji, gives an insight. We cannot see the mind, but we can see behavior. The behavior of the governors towards signing this, the execution of these criminals is because some of them they don't want to be responsible for the, the execution of any individual. 
so that the families of these individuals will not see them as the ones who actually execute their family members or maybe they are refusing, refusing to sign for political reasons. Since the number of those on the death roll keep rising, should death sentence be abolished in Nigeria? Mr. Frank Tiete is a Nigerian lawyer and a human rights activist. Despite the global campaign, which has been quite successful across the world, against the death penalty in Nigeria, it will remain very, very difficult for it to be removed from the status. It's very, very unlikely that Nigeria will remove uh, the death penalty from its status books. Recently, the government changed the name Nigerian Prison Service to Correctional Service because ex-convicts suffer segregation in society. The name change helps to correct, rehabilitate, reintegrate inmates into society having been reformed. Thanks, Ben Shemang, for that report. Now, George, imagine living your life not knowing what will happen next. Like, I mean, I feel like that's like double sentence. Double, double, double torture. Double torture. You don't know when it's coming, when it's going to happen. And I mean, the question was, do you think the death penalty prevents or reduces crime? And we have Thabang Sidwell, who says, I think it can prevent crime and reduce population in prisons, but also it's not effective because others Mm. can get hanged for crimes they did not commit. Yeah, and Joseph Yerima says, no, it doesn't. In fact, most of them are victims of a corrupt system. And uh, Ramaji Runde Okafor says, yes, for peace and security to prevail, law and order must be adhered to. And William Weafe says, no, he does not prevent crime. Incarceration is enough. Thank you so much for those comments. Keep them coming on our Facebook page, GW Africa. Now to South Africa, where crime levels are causing fear and frustrations to both residents and tourists. According to the government's latest crime statistics, almost 78 people are killed every day, while 100 women are raped every 24 hours. Now, authorities are now engaging the global tech giant Google to exclude crime hotspot routes from being suggested to travelers on the GPS. Tusokumalo, our correspondent, reports from Johannesburg. Earlier this month, American tourist Walter Fischel was shot in the face by robbers in Inyanga on his way to Cape Town after he followed a faster route proposed by the GPS. In August, a British surgeon, Car Howard Tail, was shot on the head and killed by robbers while driving through the same area when officers directed him to use the same route to avoid Gloucester Road. Google South Africa director Alistair Mukwena says authorities approached the tech giant to delete that hotspot from its GPS routes. There's a specific portion of the route that passes through Nyanga that's deemed um, unsafe by the authorities. So we as Google take our lead from the city, from the municipality, from the authorities who said, listen, this is a specific concern for us. We will put signage as a city. We will warn people. There'll be a campaign. We'll work with car rental companies to also put on the message to, to tourists coming through. So you as Google, are you able to ensure that we don't uh, recommend that particular portion of the route? Locals are also feeling the heat from these high levels of crime across the country. Police Minister Fela says over 10,000 rape incidents were reported between July and September this year. Thousands of people were killed, many of them through robbery with a firearm. 
Despite the overall drop in the country's metal rate between July and September this year, 6,945 people were murdered in South Africa in three months. That's why we can't take comfort of the reduction. We can't say we have arrived. We can't say we have done all the best. These figures are too high. Churches are also being terrorized by criminals and many are now praying under CCTV camera surveillance and armed security guards. Bishop Kelly Tzedumundu at Shiloa Family Church says churches are under siege. Bring the waters um, to help churches. I mean, they're everywhere. They've got fast cars. They are compassionate. They are passionate. We see them. And Guy Lemp, a criminologist, says police are being outpaced by criminals. We've certainly seen crime increase quite significantly since 2012. It's stabilised in the most recent uh, quarterly crime statistics that were released on Friday, but it's still at extremely elevated levels. They haven't lost the war on crime, but certainly they're not winning it. Recently, President Ramaphosa authorized deployment of 300 soldiers to help the police deal with armed illegal miners who are also causing havoc in mining communities. The province of Houteng has trained and deployed peace warders to combat spiraling crime. However, residents say these measures have brought little comfort and they continue being terrorized by criminals. Tuso Kumalo reporting from South Africa. Now moving ahead, we go to our showbiz segment, Staying in South Africa. But today, it is with some difference. We bring you the second episode of Don't Hold Back series from the just-launched Season 2. That's right, Josie. Season 2 seemed to be super hot. And now this episode is on Google Africa Chief Marketing Officer. Mzamo Masito, I hope I pronounced the yes, name correctly. Oh, perfect. Okay, who <laughs> became a South African captain of industry, but his journey is littered with battles and second guessing. Not what you'd expect from a high flying executive, George. Mm. He tells Nozibele Ngabgana Mayaba why young South Africans should not idolize Elon Musk and why changing jobs the right way helps you get ahead. Welcome to Don't Hold Back. This is where we say it loud. Now, let's talk about it. The South African job market is very, very hard. It's hard to find a job, particularly for a graduate that just came out of university. I work with young people that often ask me, Nozi, how do I stand out? How do I sell myself? How do I make sure that my CV is top-notch so that I can be a first choice for a recruiter? Now, we're going to talk more about this with Brand Genius, the man behind the brands, Chief Executive or Chief Marketing Officer, rather, for Google. Africa, Mzamo Masit. Mzamo, you've worked for like quite a number of companies. Mm. One that I've noted, Nike, Vodacom, Unilever, and now Google. Mm. Um, we come from a, 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 you know, a background where our moms would stay with one employer um, for a number of years. My mom mm. you know, worked for a TB hospital for 29 years wow. before she retired. Um, so when I started working, I've been with probably about five companies so far. Mm. It's one of the things that we always thought about. Why would you move? You have benefits. You have medical aid. Um, so do you think the days of company loyalty are far gone? I think you need to understand who you are, and then you need to work within you. Yeah. And stop trying to copy everyone. And, Correct. And also stop apologizing for changing jobs. And by the way, there's enough even evidence anyway to prove that there's an upside sometimes in changing jobs because people change jobs 
correctly yes. tend to earn more Correct. than people who stay in the same Correct. place forever. Yeah. So there's an upside that if you do it right, yes. you might also end up earning more anyway. Absolutely. Because you negotiate more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you negotiate better. And also you tend to get to learn more about your worth mm. and your value. Yeah. Now, Mzamo, with me, um, you know, coming from a difficult background, it was all about, you know, I need to go to university. It doesn't matter what I study. Mm. I need to go to university, graduate, and get a job. Yeah. And one of the courses that, that did not have as many people signing onto it was marketing, yes. right? But I, I, I promise you, when I, when I, I, I even remember signing that application, but I'm like, I do not want to do marketing because it's about selling, and I'm not good at selling. Mm. Um, but for you, I'm quite interested in terms of where you did set from the word go that this is the, the path that, that you're going to choose? No, I, I was one of those people who didn't know what they wanted to mm. be. I was not clear. I knew they, that, I remember growing up, all I wanted was to be a preacher, yes. teacher, and a healer. Those were the three things. There you go. The rest was not <laughs> in my radar. Yeah. And when I worked at UCT, I was teaching, tutoring, then I realized when I got like a paycheck mm. as a teacher, I was like, oh shit, teachers don't get paid. Yes. And I'm not a believer in follow your passion. Mm. I'm a believer, follow the thing that pays you well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. When you're rich, you can find your passion. <laughs> but I love, can I just say, oh, I'm sorry, I love that honesty yeah. because a lot of people do that. Um, yeah. They get into a certain position. No, and money is not important. No, no, I need money. No, no, no. I grew up poor. Yes. So I know poverty and. I know it's very important to cry in an air-conditioned place than in a shack. Without yes. grabbing a shack. So I, I know it's better to cry in a Mercedes with an aircon in than to cry <laughs> in a bicycle yes. or taxi rank. And I, I, I... You heard that it's better to cry in a Range Rover. Yeah, On take, that very note, yeah. <laughs> we have to say goodbye. I'm Josie Mahachi. Okay, check me with you, Josie. I'm Jojo Kachi. <laughs> check me with you to your Mercedes Benz. I want to cry in your Mercedes Benz. <laughs> DW. Made for Minds.